Machute Mate recognizes the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and any indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. We stand in solidarity in their struggle towards the colonization and land back. Buenas, mi gente. What is good? Machete Mate back this week with a back-to-back comrade conversation this week. Um, if you haven't checked out our last episode, we had a really good conversation with Diego Polanco, who's gave us this incredible perspective on what's going on in Chile, his background, being the children of freaking Guevarista arms smugglers and whatever, having spent time in Cuba and all that stuff. Really, really, really fascinating. Really, really privileged to have had that conversation with him because his perspective on what's going on there is, I would say it's invalid, but it's, it's amazing. So definitely check that out. Um, today's a little bit different. Today's going to be more of a sort of review on last year and all the elections that um, have gone on. So we brought out a special guest, but we'll get there in a second. Um, but yeah, again, if you support what we do and like what we do and want access to the book club, the Discord, and all that good stuff, especially coming up in the new year, a lot of things are going on. So we'd like to be able to justify spending more time on this project. Consider showing your solidarity on our Patreon if you can um, at patreon.com slash machete mate. Um, again, you get access to all that, those things. And if not, just leave a, a nice review or a comment on wherever you listen to this. Um, that helps the algorithm and get us out there. Um, and maybe someone else can show the solidarity if you're, if you're unable to monetarily. Shit all over the place. A lot of people struggling. It's understandable. We just appreciate y'all coming in and spending some time with us, listening to us um, ramble about bullshit and, and some important stuff. But um, but yeah, so I'm Leroy coming to you from NARM, so unceded Wurundjeri land in so-called Australia, here with the homie Austin. What's good, man? What's up, buddy? Back at it again. Exactly. And back this week, because we we missed T last time. T, what's good, man? Hey, how's it going, y'all? Hold good on. Be back. Hold on. How come when I'm gone, I get attacked, but T, we're giving him a hug when he comes back? Because I like T. Okay, so... Wow, <laughs> damn. Okay. That's cold-blooded, bro. That's cold-blooded. No, 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 no. What it is is that me not being on the show is, is not normal. You not being on the show is just... It's like expected. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Whatever. How about this for a hand signal? <laughs> anyway, anyway, these 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 guys are like having the sibling freaking fight off off on camera, whatever. But like we said, <laughs> the returning three time white ally visitor guest, official white ally, Matt. What's going What's going on, man? What's up, guys? How's it going? Hello from Bogota. Hello from Bogota. Yeah. This dude was in Utah before for some reason. His his family lives there, but Yo. what the hell? Yeah, man, family. Yeah. Anyway, it's a good state. Um, it's a good state. It's a good. I, I'll take your word for it, man. We clown. We yeah. Clown. <laughs> anyway, b- before we get into it, typical vibe check just to make sure everyone's okay. Matt, what's good? How you been? Very glad to be back in Colombia. Um, it's warm here. It was freezing cold, which was actually kind of nice. It was the first time I've been cold in like, uh, years, which, you know, what used to be just part of my growing up living in Utah, but, uh, you know, I've been now here on the equator for a while. So with COVID and everything, it was the first time being back during, during winter and 
that was really nice. I appreciated it more than I thought I would. But uh, now I'm back warm again and loving that as well. <laughs> nah, I, I fucking hate the cold, so I can't. I can't relate. Anyway, T, what's good, man? Speaking of speaking of oh, weather, I'm what's sure, good? <laughs> Yo, look, we'll get into this later, like probably on an after dark or something. But yeah, I, you know, I'm in the um, fake state of Virginia, which just cannot, <laughs> just simply cannot get its shit together ever with anything. So. Uh, the the last week was no different. Um, lost power for a few days. Uh, power's back on, which is nice. Um, one of the reasons why I I don't know if that was my sense of time got warped the past week. But yeah, Virginia just cannot get its shit together. But I'm ch- I'm chill boogie so far. I'm good. What yeah. about you? What about you, Austin? Oh, okay. I was about to say over here, hearing both Leroy and Matt talk about, oh my goodness, we love warm weather. I'm here freezing my ass off right now. Good God almighty, is it cold in this goddamn basement that I'm in? Jesus Christ, right? So, like, I wish I was in beautiful Bogota, Colombia, right, feeling nice and warm. When I was in – it was amazing. When I was in, I was in Caracas, Venezuela just a couple months ago, right? Beautiful, warm weather there. Literally, as soon as you – as soon as I landed in Santo Domingo for the connecting flight, you could just feel the warmth. And it was just like, oh, this is literally how humanity was supposed to be meant to live. So very, very unfortunate to be dealing with the cold, but, but very happy that our homeboy, official podcast, white ally, Matt, who I love hey. dearly, right? Matt, Matt and I have done plenty of shenanigans together, right? So I'm always happy to, <laughs> to welcome my dear, my dear comrade, Matt. We've hopped a few countries together, right? It's I was going to say, when are you going to make it down to Columbia, man? I'm honestly, Soon, I hope. Oh, I may, in May, right? We'll be talking about that, won't we? So <laughs> anyways, like... Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. I'm happy to be here. Leroy, what about you? I'm chilling. It's a beautiful day. Um, (laughs) At the end of 2021, so just a few weeks ago, things were sort of looking down. But lately, things have been looking up piece by piece, which is good. Um, Again, we can get into it in an after dark or whatever. But, like, I'm feeling good. The sun's out again today. Yesterday was kind of raining, kind of chilly in the middle of summer. But um, that's Melbourne. Um, But now everything's good. Um, Ernie starts his new autism school tomorrow, which is really, really exciting. It's meant to be like this pretty deep, very cool, big, good program. Um, so hopefully he gets the most out of it. And, um, we learn a, f- a thing or two about being better parents for him. Um, but again, yeah, I, I can get into that in after dark, but, um, my sunflowers are blooming. My tomatoes are growing. My garden's peaking. Um, so yeah, Ernie, my garden, right. are two things that matter to me. So, and they're, they're doing well. So anyway, we'll get into it. Or I could be here rambling about my fucking garden. Um, like I said, today's going to be more of a 2021 year in review and sort of a look ahead at, at what we can expect this coming year. Um, if you've been following along, you know, we went into death quite a bit in all the elections. And I think we actually started the year, like not at the beginning, but like in February, Ecuador had their election. I think that's when we first brought Matt in. So it's been it's, it's been a year of Matt. Um, but yeah, we, we talked about Ecuador, Peru, Honduras, Nicaragua, eh, Chile, we have Colombia, Brazil, Costa Rica even coming up. So Matt, like just, I think just give us a general overview. I mean, you live in South America. What was, obviously you're sort of based out of Colombia, but you sort of had your finger, you had your ear on the ground, all these different places in a general sense. Like what was this year like, man? I mean, looking when you, I mean, when, when we were first talking from, uh, you know, back in, God, what month was that? I don't even remember. Whenever Ecuador was in the first round. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you could look at the calendar ahead and sort of, you know, know what was on the horizon. And I think there were a lot of high hopes. And then immediately, yes, so, so much sort of uh, despair at the beginning. But after that, you know, it was just sort of, uh, you know, not necessarily win, but, you know, heroic struggle after heroic struggle, mostly culminating in, in you know, victories, be those electoral or in the streets. I mean, look at Colombia, you know, I mean, or in Chile, for example. Exactly. I mean, I think it's important. Of course, we'll get into we'll get into Colombia also, you know, in the election uh, coming up in uh, in this year. But, you know, you can't talk about that without talking about the protests that happened this year and how just titanic that was for, yeah, for the country and the region. So all to, all to say, I think that uh, Ecuador was really the sort of the, the uh, anomaly um, and all of the other sort of just uh, incredible moments that happened in 2021 uh, really, <laughs> really took that, that bad taste out of your mouth uh, by the end of it. And I think you can only be hopeful at this point. I think... Uh, yo, f- kind of following up on some of that, right? <clears throat> God, I have so much to say when thinking about last year and thinking about what you just said there. I think Ecuador, right, as you describe it, was kind of an anomaly. I also think in some ways it almost kind of set the tone, right, in the sense that we saw the right wing in Latin America implement this strategy of voter suppression, right, yeah. of of, of uh, questioning the results, right? What we saw happen in Ecuador, a very similar playbook we saw get implemented in almost every fucking country like thereafter right now obviously Yaku yeah. Perez and that's a whole other fucking thing and his relationship to Patch Kudik and Kona A complicated right that's a whole podcast in and of itself but with that said like the way like people were uh, the I'll never forget Matt you put it so great literally I think it was the first podcast you're on with us with you said death by a thousand cuts right that strategy is exactly what Cass would have loved to have tried to do in Chile, right? If it was close enough, right? It's exactly what uh, the National Party in Honduras would have loved, would almost tried to do, even though it wasn't close at all in Honduras, right? <laughs> Literally immediately disputing the results, right? And Peru, that is one million percent what Keiko Fujimori did, right? Uh, we, we were there, Matt. We literally saw the shit unfold on the ground, right? <clears throat> But with all that said, and, and once again, I mentioned that for a good reason, right? Because as we look into the new year, right, I think we should expect nothing less than for that theme to carry over, right? When I think about the far the far right in Latin America, right? Um, but also, like you said, Matt, I see reasons to be optimistic, obviously, right? No shit, right? We won in Peru and Chile and Honduras, right? If you'd have started me off, if you'd have went a year back in time today, and literally said to me, we're going to lose Ecuador, but we're going to win Peru, Chile, and Honduras, I would not have believed that shit, right? Yo, yeah. I, I, obviously, I first would have been like, what the fuck does it even mean to win Peru, right? You know, because obviously Castillo was a whole fucking like thing, uh, uh, dark horse or whatever. But right, like I would have never expected that, right? So when I think about this year, when I think about Colombia in particular, right? Holy shit, right-wing hegemony. How the fuck is that going to work? Obviously, with Brazil and Lula polling well, okay, that's beautiful. We can see what's going to happen there. But I think the common theme that I see people talk, that I, a lot of people were talking about, especially after Boric's victory, right, was, quote, and I think you already said this at the top to you, was, quote, the return of the pink tide, right? Now, me personally, as I've said on the podcast in the past, I kind of hate that phrase, right? Pink tide, I think that's kind of like a... I'm just not a big fan or whatever, but I think it's absolutely something we should be identifying, right? The return of the left within Latin America, quote unquote, return, right? Even though I would always argue and have argued on the podcast in the past that this new 
right-wing hegemony right after the election of Bolsonaro that a lot of the media was trying to push was kind of bullshit in and of itself. And to me, one of my biggest takeaways from politics in Latin America last year is exactly that, right? The complete exposing of this narrative that, oh my goodness, right-wing populism is taking Latin America by storm, right? It's amazing. Because of the events of last year, I feel like we kind of forget how deeply rooted that narrative had become, right? People were talking like, oh, you see Latin America, they're embracing right-wing populism. Like it was just a fucking thing that people were regurgitating. But we've moved so far past uh, uh, all of that. Yeah, Um one hundred percent, and like a, a few things there. I think that's just the, the same narrative, the same thing that's happened that always happens. You have these people in the global north projecting their sort of political sensibilities and what they understand politics to be, and obviously it's this paternalism, this imperial paternalism that they like all you know those brown people, those savages, those blah blah blah. You know, if it's like this, it's because of that. If it's like this, because of that. Without actually understanding material realities in there. Um, but I wanted to take it back. Like I think it's just a question. I'll just open up a question for everybody here who ever wants to answer it. All the positive victories of last year, how much do y'all think the victories in Bolivia before that, like, played into that? Like, seeing, like, like I think, um, Matt, you said it perfectly, like, the heroic struggles that happened in Bolivia. Like, how much of that do you think, like, people in, in I mean, it wasn't a victory in Ecuador, but there was some, like, mobilization in Ecuador. People in Peru seeing it, people in Chile seeing it, people seeing that, you know, another world's possible. Like, what, what do we think, like, how much do you think that played into it? Well, you know, so it, the question is great because what I was going to say just now, um, responding to everybody's points earlier, kind of fits in with this. Let's contextualize a minute uh, Bolsonaro's victory, right? Remember what you said, Austin? People were saying that this is the dawn of right-wing populism in, La in Latin America. Well, again, remember, Bolsonaro's victory came at where it looked like the far right, the nationalist right, was winning victories not just in South America but worldwide. Yeah. Modi was at the height of his powers in India. Um, yeah. We had, obviously, Trump in the United States. Uh, we had uh, uh, Matteo Salvini in Italy as probably the most <laughs> powerful figure in Italy at the time, right? Yeah. Um, this was happening everywhere, right? So this was very easy to to see this as part of like kind of a global thread. Now, something you once said before, Austin, um, was turn you know turning street power into state power, right? That's what the last couple of year last year or so was in Latin America. There was a, a great country after country was, as you noted, Matt, there have been titanic social struggles constantly, right? And to your point, Austin, that pink tide is a bad word. They were still there. It's just that the mode of struggle had taken on a much more explicitly militant street character. Exactly. And now in the last year, they've translated it in many cases in, in electoral victories. Um, in the case of Bolivia, I mean, it was... Honestly, it was a few steps away from a, an actual civil war, in my opinion. But again, the popular masses uh, were able to isolate and defeat a coup government, you know? I mean, I, I think this just just highlights, again, the importance of, of internationalism. But also, it shows how internationalism has functioned in this past year, at least in this you know given context. There's there. I mean, I would sort of put it on, on two levels, and sometimes they, they intermix, but, you know, Honduras is a great example. Without the AMLO presidency, to be quite honest, and to be without the, you know, the, the presence of and, and power of, of the Morena-led government there, um, I think that there would have been a lot more of a chance of U.S. intervention. Uh, overt and covert, um, you know, the, there was 
There were Mexican diplomats, uh, you know, in in Honduras at the time. You know, I'm sure that there were backroom conversations happening between uh, Washington and Mexico City. Um, you know, this is sort of this top level internationalism. I mean, you look at you look at uh, you know Evo Morales coming to coming to Peru. Um, you know, invigorating the bases. You know, this is sort of where this is sort of where it mixes into the, the other the other way, which is I think you know really just sort of um, uh, you know mass action speaking to you know, the people speaking to one another across um, across borders. You know, seeing what happened in Colombia that everyone saw, and you know there being a you know and even taking a step back further from that, what happened in Bolivia, what happened in Chile before that, the people were you know they recognized that, that winning is. Is possible, and you know that that is a cycle that's uh, is hard to quantify. It's hard to you know exactly show where it moves, but um, is powerful, and it was shown to be powerful last year. Uh, and even if it doesn't work every time, like in you know Ecuador, if it gets you know shunted off from 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 time to time, like Yaku Perez, um, you know <laughs> by and large, this is this is it's just a force that you can't discount. I mean the the the, the survival of Venezuela, the the survival of Alba, you know, there's so many things. I mean, I could just keep going on and on, but uh, the survival of Gua, you know, there's, there's so much to say, but. Oh my God. Oh, bro. Okay. So, wow. A million different things I love to say to everything that's been said so far. So <clears throat> first thing I'll say, wow, Matt, actually I should go even go further back to Leroy, right? Cause this relates to what you just said, Matt, right? I misspoke at the top, right? I said, oh, I think Ecuador set the tone for this year. No, I was wrong. Leroy, you're right. Bolivia, literally in the at the end of 2019, or 2020 or whatever, that set the tone for the year. You're a million percent right, Leroy. And this is where I go back to what you just said, Matt. I, you remember you remember that story of what the observers coming from Argentina that like got stopped at the border or whatever? Dude, shit like that mattered, right? Like shit like that mattered to guaranteeing integrity for that election. Shit like that mattered, just like you mentioned in Honduras, right? Which, oh my goodness, we, we could do a, not just a whole podcast. We could do a whole series on the complexities of the AMLO administration in Mexico and all this stuff. Yeah. But AMLO played a critical role in Bolivia too, offering asylum to Evo, right? Like those yeah. were big like people sleep on that dude like and don't get me wrong this is why i say almost complicated i have my own criticism blah 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 goes without saying but like the geopolitical weight that a mexico that will like try to push its weight around in latin america holds cannot be underestimated right and that's let's get whole other conversation more broadly speaking internationalism like you said matt oh my god this is the whole point of the whole fucking podcast right getting people in the united states paying attention to this shit, right? Getting people in the United States activated on this shit, right? Oh my goodness. So that's important. One more thing I'm going back to before I pivot back and holy shit, just like you said, literally just said Matt, we could literally go for five hours just on this, what we're talking about right now <laughs> on any of these subjects. So I'm going to try and be concise here. Um, T, you used one of my great quotes, right? Which I see um, people talking about more and more, right? Which is translating steep street power into state power, right? <clears throat> Not just that, you want to know what's one of my biggest themes coming away from last year and going into this one? The nature of power itself, right? Yeah, man. Look at Pedro Castillo right now. Okay, he got the presidency. Look what the fuck's happening, right? Look at Boric right now. What does a Boric presidency look like, right? We're going to talk about Colombia. What the fuck does a Petro presidency potentially look like? We're going to talk about Brazil. What does a Lula Alckmin, you know, ticket look like? And what the fuck would that mean for actually governing in Brazil, 
right? And obviously these are themes we talk about a lot, right? And I think these are themes that are not lost on us, right? I think for us for here, when we look at a Petro administration, we aren't delusional and think, okay, so this is when Petro is going to start sending people to Cuba and we're good relations with Maduro. But no, 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 there's layers here, right? There's nuance here. The four of us here, I don't think we're delusional, dare I say, enough to look at a Lula administration and think, okay, this is going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. No, once again, the nature of power itself, the nature of attempting to govern within these electoral, these electoral frameworks, whatever you want to call it, necessitates an, a, an assessment of what the fuck it even means to get power in this system, right? Now, maybe I'm going too broad or vague or whatever fuck, and Leroy, you're smarter than me, so I'm going to pass it over to you. Um, I agree on that point, but um, nah. Um, but, but but taking it back, and, and Matt, it was fascinating because I, I don't think I had actually ever considered the role that an AMLO presidency played for the region. Um, and believe me, I take no pleasure in saying this and giving Mexico any credit for anything because, you know, part of my thing is bringing out, <laughs> bringing out the Mexican hegemony when it comes to like Messi side and all that shit. But, but I think you're absolutely right. And I think um, looking at the big picture, like if we're going to call ourselves Marxists and say we're going to have a Marxist analysis, that's all rooted in understanding there's inherent contradictions in things. You know what I mean? Like we can talk about how much of a complicated character and how borderline neoliberal AMLO is or whatever, while also in the same breath talking about how that's this is a step forward for the region at the same time. You know, these, those things don't have to be, don't they don't cancel each other out. Like that's about moving forward and, you know, synthesizing the contradiction, right? Like what we like to talk about. And also I'm in the same boat as you, man. I've been doing a lot of thinking about like the nature of power and stuff like this. And I think one thing that we who live in the global north or whatever, like we get down on ourselves thinking like, oh, we will never win or like, you know, like socialism will never t- take, you know, take take place. There'll be a revolution. So let's, you know, let's do all these reforms and blah, 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 blah. Like, you know who, who you know who does think that revolution is possible? The fucking CIA, the State Department, the US, like the global north. They yeah. think these things are possible. And the people in South America, like the mass movements, like using mass as an example, they they know it's possible because they've been fighting it for hundreds of years and they've been winning. They haven't held power, but they've been they've had they, they've kept their struggle like the imperialism has destroyed, you know, a lot of their social networks, or whatever. But they have kept it together and built these mass movements. And I think that's beautiful. And, and again, like I don't want to say use the word resurgence because I think um, we use that too much saying all oh, this resurgence as if there's like an ebb and flow like because at the end of the day if we're going to look at the state of the international planet like a lot of the power is based in capital based in settler colonialism like that is that's the status quo so borderline fascism is the status quo so if a leftist loses an, loses an election i don't think that's sort of a an an aberration. I think the aberration is the leftist winning. And I think if we have enough of those victories, then we could start to influence the conversation and actually take power for ourselves, which is possible because the fashion know it's possible that our side can take power. So I don't know. Also, I got to say, like, if you hear a baby screaming in the background, it's Ernie. Like, he's just been running around. So mm-hmm. apologies to the listeners and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I think those are, those are my two cents for now. So yeah, I think you wanted to say something or Austin. Yo, or sorry, T, were you about to go? Okay, yeah, I was. I, I was just gonna say, right, uh, following up on some of those threads there, right. When I think about the nature of power, I land on something we've always known and literally always talked about, which is power is nothing 
if you're disconnected from your bases, right? Fundamentally, right? Look at Bolivia. They were able to maintain power because they were connected to their bases, right? Ecuador, not connected to their bases, unable to get back power, right? Peru, difficult relationship with their bases, right? Not exactly governing very well, right? But that's, once again, a whole complicated situation in itself. So I pivot to Colombia. Matt, you raised a great point, which is if we approach this Colombian election in isolation and not talk about the last year or the even the the, the whole Duque administration, right, and the protests and shit like that that have happened, obviously we're missing the point and we're missing the plot. I ask you, as we head to this, I mean, God, God Almighty, we're talking about Colombia, right? We're yeah, talking man. about Colombia. Yeah, we're man. talking about the fucking the 51st state. We're talking about yeah. the Israel of Latin America. We're talking about yeah, all that shit, right? So, Matt, what what is what are you thinking about going into this election, right? Do you look at the what is it the I always forget the historic pact or whatever the fuck you know? Is this uh, where where are things currently? Like, where do you think things are headed? How are you feeling about this election? Yeah, the, the Pacto Histórico, the historic pact. I mean, it is historic. I mean, it's it's called that, but it's also. It's, that's that's true. I mean, it, it really is historic. The um, what it is is essentially it's a you know an, an alliance of, of lots of different uh, parties, but also social movements. Importantly, um, you know, from the feminist movement, from the Afro-Colombian movement, from the indigenous movement, from um, you know Colombia Humana, which is Gustavo Petro's party, um, you know, lots of others, and you know they've basically agreed to support whoever wins in a in a primary process for the presidency and also to run, you know, candidates for Congress and other uh, levels of, uh, of government as well. But, you know, speaking importantly about, about the presidency, I mean, I think right now in the polls, you know, Petro is, is dominating. And the key thing to, I mean, he's, he's pulling it around, you know, like say uh, between 30 and 40%, which is very high. Um, everyone else in the field is pulling about, you know, <laughs> the highest person is pulling, 10% and whoever that person is changes every other week. You know, you've got a centrist or uh, somebody on the center right or somebody that represents sort of anti-corruption, anti-politics, or you've got uh -huh. Pista, you know, whoever it is. The key feature here is that there is uh, not a, a, a candidate, a clear sort of candidate that he's running against at this point, which is pretty amazing. I mean, the elections are happening for the presidency in, in the first round is in May. So there's, you know, there's still time to consolidate around sort of uh, uh, the, 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 the candidate of the establishment, but we're running out of time. And that's really great news for, for the left. On the other hand, because it's such a giant alliance, uh, and I mean, you know, you can look it up, but it's like 20 plus movements and parties. Um, they all have to get, you know, a candidate in here or there, especially for the, for the congressional list. And, you know, right before Christmas, there's been a, quite a deep, fracture, um, basically because there were not enough, uh, and I, maybe only one Afro-Colombian candidate in the first, you know, 15 members of the list. Mm. Pro the, the, the list is probably not going to do all that great in Congress, to be honest with you. So it's possible that there may not be, a, you know, an Afro-Colombian represented on the Pacto Histórico list um, or in, in Congress, which would be devastating. And so, you know, some of the... <laughs> Some of the movements, especially represented by sort of the other leading presidential candidate besides Petro, which I feel like I think most people have probably heard of. He was the former mayor of, of, of Bogota and ran for president against Duque and, and got the closest the leftist has ever gotten to, to winning the presidency in Colombia. Um, so he's running again. 
But there's also Francia Marquez, who's a young um, Afro-Colombian environmental activist who's supported by other important members of the Pacto Histórico. And she, now her supporters and, and she herself are considering leaving the Pacto, uh, which would be pretty major. Um, and I worry an Ecuador sort of round two <laughs> situation. So, Dude. Oh my God. Okay. A lot of different things to unpack there. So first of all, that's, I mean, I was about to say that, right? Literally what you just said, right? Uh, Ecuador sort of situation. Damn, that would be disappointing and depressing for so many different reasons, right? I think it's important also to dwell upon, right? The importance of like incorporating the like Afro-Colombians into any sort of left-wing movement, right? Like obviously yes. that's like a no shit sort of thing, but that's particularly important in Colombia, right? Like this is a country, right? With a, one of the most historic black populations in the Americas, right? Right. Yeah. Not just in South America, not just in, in the whole fucking Americas. Right. So like that's obviously like good God almighty goes without saying how important that is. Right. And I go back to I also not just Ecuador. Right. Thinking about the past. Right. I think about Peru. Right. Matt, when you and I were in Lima, we would say to each other. Right. If even the smallest party of this coalition pe peeled away, that could tank it. Right. Because that's how fucking razor thin shit was. Same yeah, shit man. here, right? If even the smallest party peels away, fuck, right? That could be potentially devastating. So that's very, uh, yeah, that's the whole thing. Yeah, now just quickly, I just want to echo and give a little bit of context to that Afro-Colombian like situation. Like, I think for a lot of people outside of Latin America, don't realize the the massive Afro populations that exist across Latin America. Because people think, you know, in the Caribbean, Cuba, Brazil, whatever, but Peru has a massive Afro-Peruvian population. Colombia, like you said, has one of the most historic ones. Like, I think some of the first slave uprisings in Latin America took place in, in Colombia. They have the Palenques. They have, like, basically these slave communities, towns in the middle of nowhere, runaway slaves, that they set up their own, like, mutual aid networks their own villages their own you know basic parallel societies so i think just to echo everything i said like not to include that portion of the population is not only unfortunate electorally but it's going to be unfortunate as, as at a societal level that that'll that that'll show how far culturally like colombia and the region at large needs needs to come Absolutely, bro. So, like, oh my goodness! Once again, the importance of the coalition staying together is like uh, particularly important. I'm, I'm curious, Matt. And I, once again, I know we talked about a little bit about this off the air, but I'm so curious, right? Like, <clears throat> you mentioned it's astonishing when I think about the polling, right? It's astonishing, right? <clears throat> Now, I know there was allegations of fraud in the previous election when Petro lost to Duque, right? But he did lose to Duque by, like, a healthy margin or whatever when the numbers were counter or whatever. So, like, it's astonishing to me when I look at Petro's chances and the fact that he continues to poll well. What is the status of – what the fuck's his name? Sergio uh, Fajardo, right? I, mm -hmm. I, for, I had always been under the impression that, okay, this is the liberal guy that the establishment is going to coalesce around. Do you do you see that still happening? Do you think has Fajardo's time passed? Right, like because to me that was always my com concern: a runoff between Petro and Fajardo. That I, I don't fucking know. Yeah, I mean, it's a uh, it, has it passed? I don't know. I think it's uh, there's it's everything's sort of up for grabs on the the anti Petro uh, side of things, and you know the Uribistas aren't just going to 
give power away. I don't know. I mean, how many, like more than two decades now they've been, they've been in power. So for them to just say, well, defeating Petro is more important than, than, uh, you know, us having a chance to, to continue on. I don't really, I don't really see that happening. There's also some sort of like wild card businessman running who I, you know, may or may not be, uh, amenable to, to making some sort of giant petrol alliance. I mean, look, it'll probably happen in the second round, of, of, of course. But um, I, I just think it's too early to tell. Fajardo is like, he's the former, I believe, governor of, of, of uh, oh, I'm forgetting the state now, Antioquia, and uh, sort of the, the Uribista homelands. And, uh, you know, it's, I, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. I think there's a possibility that he could be, he's probably the most... Uh, most likely to defeat Petro, but um, uh, yeah, I think it's just too early to say. To be honest, what do you what do you think, bro? I think two different things. I think two different things. One, like I say, to me, th- my biggest concern is is a runoff, right, between Fajardo and Petro, because I think Fajardo would win. Right now, obviously, you you would know better than I would, but I think that would be a bad scenario, right? The second thing, which I'm curious about, and I'll pivot to you here in a moment, Leroy. But I did have another a, a, like a follow up question there once again. Is there anybody that the Uribistas are like coalescing around or, or as Duque so thoroughly delegitimized them <laughs> in this administration that like people are just so tired of this sh- that shit that there's not like who is who is our cast is what I'm saying. Or has he not reared his fucking head yet? No, no, he has. His, his name's uh, Oscar Zuluaga. Mm. And he was the losing candidate against Santos uh, a few elections ago, whatever, that 2014. Um but I don't, I mean, he's, a, you know, nobody likes him. He's a loser. He's an old guy. I don't think he's got any, he's not, he's not going to be, uh, you know, too major of a force unless, you know, something crazy happens. But, you know, it's just, I don't know, Austin, you and I were talking about the, the you know, the, the uh, what would it even mean if Petro, you know, won? In the, you know, it's like, he's not going to have the Congress behind him. That's almost for certain, you know, the entire Pacto Historico, is going to be like twenty percent of the. I would I I would assume probably at the highest. That's about where they are now. I don't think they're going to gain much more than that. They're certainly not going to have a majority. But the, the important things, you know, going back to sort of the the election that Zuluaga lost, are you know the peace accords have some structural changes. They're important. I mean, they have also they've also been used as like a uh, you know a weapon by by Duque to basically assassinate a lot of the signers of that peace treaty um, when they put their arms down. But there are serious, you know, land reforms in that in those accords. There's serious democratization uh, measures in those accords. So if Petro were able, even able to implement them, it would be it would be major. And I think he could do that from from the executive. Of course, in addition to all of the internationalist things that we're always thinking about, you know, the possibilities for Colombia to come in on left wing regional integration to just allow Venezuela to survive to not. <laughs> be the active beachhead for U.S. imperialism, to the drug war, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot of things to, to say, but uh, I do think it's, you know, it would be incredibly important even if um, even if the Congress is not with him. And for that reason, I think it's a bit different than sort of a Pedro Castillo situation um, in, in Peru. Dude, this is why we bring you on the podcast, Matt. <laughs> Those are great points, right? But once again, just like we say, it's impossible to properly analyze this election without thinking about the protests that have been in the past couple of years and uh, past couple of decades, if you want to look at it holistically or whatever, yeah. but, but we'll, you know, look at it, look at it like uh, as a contained sort of thing. Right. But like the peace accords, 
just like you mentioned, man, the FARC putting down their arms, right? Officially, at least, whatever fuck, right? And turning into a political party, right? Like, people forget, right? Duque, his whole fucking, like, that has been a a major theme of his administration, right? Not honoring the peace accords, as you say, continuing to allow for vigilante violence against people that signed the peace accords, right? Against trade unions, right? We could go on forever and ever about how dangerous it is just to speak out in a place like Colombia, right? Which is another reason why it's so fucking important, or it would be such a, as you say, just a sea change in and of itself to get somebody like Petro in the presidency who could at the least try to implement that sort of shit, right? Or actually and stop trying to impede the implementation of that sort of shit. I think is so critically important. And once again, a little bit of perspective. This is fucking Colombia. Come on, yeah. God damn! Like, I feel like you mentioned Castillo, right? I feel like when we were talking about Castillo, right? Like, we said a lot that the biggest thing in Peru is the Constitutional Assembly. Why? Because Peru is almost designed for perpetual gridlock, right? Has been literally since the first, since the Fujimori, Fujimori dictatorship, right? So, like, even with a Castillo presidency, shit's going to be, it's going to be very difficult, obviously, seeing the Lima group go down in flames. That's funny, right? So, like, that's fun. And similarly... <laughs> In Colombia, wow, like, oh, like just a Colombia that isn't actively feeding fucked up right wing shit throughout Latin America is a fucking sea change in and of itself. Yeah, go ahead, Leroy. Yeah, no, my thing was, uh, and I think Matt hit like a lot of good points and you did as well. My, I was going to ask just an open question about like a Petro, a Petro um, presidency. Like what happens next? Like what happens to the alliances? All those things between the United States, you know, this concept of Colombia being the fifty-first state. Like, what will that look like? And like Matt, you mentioned land reform. Like, anytime anyone has ever attempted land reform in Latin America over the last fucking two hundred mm-hmm. years, what happened? Just the word land reform. You know what I mean? Like that whole thing. So I think open question to everyone. Like, Biden is president now in the United States. Petro becomes president. Does like this plan Colombia esque thing continue? Like, what's what are we what are we foreseeing? Like that looking like? I, I mean, I, from from my perspective, I mean, I, I think you know Biden is still the president. As Biden, you know, himself said that he's the guy who designed plan Colombia. I think he said that in the, uh, in the election. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that? But but you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, I forget who he's talking to. Some editorial board or something. But um, no, I mean, even that's even that's in, in the accords. You know, the the idea to to try to uh, incentivize, subsidize sustainable agriculture to move away from whatever, uh, the drug trade and, and cocoa production and all, all of that. I, I think that, that there's, a, there's a real chance um, because, you know, they're, they've already fought that war, right? I mean, the Civil War was ongoing for, I think it was the longest Civil War, you know, definitely on this continent, maybe in the 20th century, um, you know, over, over 60 years of armed struggle that's, you know, I guess is still technically going on with the ELN. Um, but, you know, this was, uh, I think those concessions, um, or what I'm saying is that, Lira, I wouldn't be so worried about sort of, uh, you know, massive reactionary action because that sort of has already, has already happened. Um, we're already sort of living in the, living in the aftermath of that. And to be honest, it's not the most radical land reform you've ever seen. There's a, what it, what it does is it tries to normal or like what do we call it standardize or uh, regularize um, a lot of land so that it's more easy, easily tradable on the market. Um, so you can buy and sell land because you know where it's demarcated now. Yeah. So there's plenty in it, uh, in it for the capitalists as well, but, yeah. but it tries to, I think it still goes pretty far to, 
um, you know, guaranteeing land rights for peasants for, you know, to create a, a land bank, um, to allow for expropriations for unused land, to create sort of a, a hard agricultural frontier in the Amazon so no further incursion is allowed. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of good in it, um, but it's certainly not perfect. And there's a reason that the, you know, the Uribista has signed the damn treaty. So, um, uh, at least there's that. Once again, very great points, everybody, and very great points there, Matt. What I would add, right, or to what I what I would also answer to the question that you posed there, Leroy, um, is that it's because of when I consider, and Matt, this is where I get pessimistic, right? It's because when I consider the right-wing hegemony in Colombia, right, when I consider the importance of Colombia to, like, the United States and the world order, that I just can't conceive of Petra winning, like... I like once again, maybe that's just it's too pessimistic or whatever the fuck, right? But like, I just don't like my brain cannot compute, right? Petro actually becoming president of Colombia, or like my brain cannot even conceive of this world, right? Because of how devastating it would be to like the the right wing uh, world order, specifically within the Americas, right? I, it'll be impossible for me to have any sort of optimism whatsoever. When I when I think about Colombia or, or Petro's chances of winning the election, but I know as we head in toward the election, I already know damn well we're going to have you back on here again at some point, Matt, because this is there's going to be layers to this, right? We're only just beginning to talk about Francia Marquez and all that, and there's 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 layers. <laughs> yeah, go go ahead, T. And frankly, and frankly, like I mean, okay, so you are what we're witnessing and what we're seeing is honestly on your pessimistic kick, Austin. The fact that we're seeing the weaknesses of or the constraints that bourgeois electoral politics poses to yeah. social movements and to yeah. socialist politics. Right. Yeah. So we see this in Peru. Right. Um, what did we you know, it was always going to be the Congress in Peru. In Colombia, it's going to be the, a divided, hostile Congress, because no matter what you can have a a powerful leader, you can have a influential leader, someone who's connected to the grassroots, they can still get cooed as we saw in Bol Bolivia. Now, Bolivia eventually has, you know, a wonderful, you know, ending. Uh, and, but the only reason that is, is it wasn't from the, it wasn't from state power, frankly, it was, it was street power that won that back. Right. Um, Moss had been in power for how long since 2006 and even having, um, be, you know, repeated electoral successes wasn't enough. They got cooed. It was the social movements and the street power that won it back, right? So whether or not, you know, whether or not there's a victory in, in Colombia and Peru or, you know, Brazil later on, they're only as strong as the, you know, social struggles taking place outside of the bourgeois political arena. And and th this honestly is just confirmation of that. We've seen nothing but confirmation of that in the last few years. This land reform you're referring to, Matt, that you said is, it is land reform, so that's good, but it's not like, we're, <laughs> this isn't, this isn't, what, what what reactionaries hear when they hear the word land reform, it is not that. That's 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 super important. I think one of the effects of uh, of capitalism, neoliberalism, the society that we live in, this you know this mode of production, whatever, is consolidation. Whether it's consolidation of capital, consolidation of population centers, consolidation of all these other things, and I think a lot of it has to do with the consolidation of power, even if it's 
abstract. It's the the idea of where power is consolidating. So obviously, you know, a lot of a lot of liberals in the U.S. try to, um, you know, woe is me, clutch their pearls about these authoritarians here and blah blah blah. But they they really project that onto like the U.S. presidency. Like, oh, you know, this guy Trump's in power, so he has all the power and blah blah blah. Whereas the power is in the fucking streets. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it doesn't matter who's who's there. Like, power really lies with the, with the people. And I think these are lessons that we can learn you know living in the global north and outside of these these places there was more power in the road blockades in bolivia yeah. than there were in a even a mass official getting elected frankly because it wasn't the elected mass officials who did it it was the road blockades yeah and in the, i mean honestly the same thing in 100 the same thing in in colombia i mean the reason that petro has uh, such he has a second shot, really, that he has you know, any chance now is because you know, he was one of the only people supporting the, uh, the, the mass protests happening last year. And you know, this is why he has an opportunity again. And I don't be so pessimistic, Austin. I feel like, you know, the other thing is that this is just the, these are so, I mean, the, the, the time frames of the struggle are, are decades, honestly. I mean, if you look at now, so many of the victories now are possible because of what the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the pink tide, the first pink tide, one before, you know, a, a, there's a moment now where, you know, well, we can talk about Brazil, but, you know, if, if Colombia were to be, uh, you know, under a Petro presidency and Lula were to come back, um, I mean, you can look at a map, but basically it's like uh, with a few countries that are uh, the anomalies, you know, the entire region being under center-left control, if not left-wing control, and the uh, giant moment for, you know, Patria Grande integration, which, to my mind, is like the only way we can now move forward again. And that's not only, you know, of course, I, I don't think we can, uh, we shouldn't, you know, overly focus on sort of these, like, these, these elections and these figures, because there's so much context and power happening. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and, and upholding those those structures, but uh, but this is sort of where we see it. I, I hope taking a giant step forward. Um, and of course, then there will be steps backward. Colombia will for sure go back to the right thing, but uh, you know we have to make these these, these steps forward. I think to, to to go on, and that's a that's decades. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I'll just jump in here real quick to get the conversation going on. Um, we should probably talk about Brazil as well, because we keep bringing up Blue Lab, we keep bringing up Brazil, we keep talking about like social movements, and we can't ignore the social movements, the mass movements of like indigenous people in Brazil coming out in direct defiance of Bolsonaro. You know what I mean? Like a person who has av- openly advocated like murdering them all, right? Him in the streets. The masses of Brazil have come out. Even like former staunch Bolsonaristas have come out against him in this coming up in his coming election, and it looks in all of the recent polling that Lula is going to run away with it now. Like we said, there's contradictions, there's complications, there's complexities to this um, of how what a little president is going to look like, and um, choosing the 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 guy who's sort of on deck to be his VP. Um, I think that's definitely something to, to to talk about because again, like one thing that a lot of leftists outside of the region, whatever, look at these places and they go, you know, like they dismiss a lot of left-leaning Latin American and global South leaders because they're not, they're not pure enough. They're not, they don't just press the revolution button and change everything. Like Lula, you know, (laughs) neoliberal reforms here and there, whatever, like they're they're, going to happen. But I think it's definitely something we we need to talk about because again, I've always believed that the way Brazil goes is how the the region goes. So if Brazil goes back, swings back to Lula, 
that's game over for Latin America and you know the bourgeois classes, the 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 comprador classes there. But um, but we'll see. Um, Austin, I think you you have thoughts on, on this guy or Matt as well because you you're definitely there. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll I'll take us off here and then I'll pass it back over to you, Matt. <clears throat> oh wow. There's a lot of layers here, right? We just went, what, like 30 minutes on Columbia, right? And that was only, that wasn't even scratching the surface, right? We will barely <laughs> scratch the surface here on Brazil. Once again, this is another thing we'll definitely talk about in greater detail moving forward. And Matt, I know you spent some time in Brazil as well. So I know this is another place that's near and dear to your heart, right? So like, oh my goodness. When I think about first and foremost politics in Brazil, when I think about this upcoming election, I think about two things in particular, right? That are interrelated, which is we can't, we can't gloss over the first fall of the PT, right? The impeachment of Delma, everything that happened there, right? The PT's disconnection to the bases, right? The rise of parties like PSOL, right? And opposing PT from the left, right? And what the fuck that meant and like what the nuances there were, right? So like, <clears throat> I think the most important thing to consider is the political system of Brazil itself, right? <clears throat> Leaning back on what you said earlier, T, right? When we are working, within quote-unquote bourgeois electoral frameworks, whatever the fuck we want to call it, liberal democracy, whatever the fuck we want to call it, right? In Brazil, it is basically impossible for a single party to govern outright by itself. It's basically right. impossible, right? So I think there's, once again, a lot of different nuances and reasons why the people They can just, like I said, they can just, they can just press the button and make it happen. They yeah, exactly. The they just click the... Just click the, right. the socialism button. No, but the PT and Lula, right? <laughs> it's not a surprise to me. I'm sure it's not really a surprise to any like seasoned Brazilian analyst to see who the fuck they are considering potentially for vice president. So, Matt, I will now pivot over to you. Who the fuck are we talking about and what, what is your take on this? Wait, well, before, before we get his name is Geraldo uh, Altman. But before we get to him, uh, no, I wanted to say that, uh, you know, Leroy, critical points to mention, you know, the, the, what happened last year, especially led by the, the indigenous movements in, in Brazil. This is what, you know, there was a moment in August, in early August, uh, when it really looked like an entire Bolsonaro agenda was going to come through to, uh, you know, really extinguish a lot of the, the rights of indigenous people in, in, in Brazil. I mean, genocide, uh, let's not skirt around it. And, um, all of that, all of that failed because there was a huge, you know, national but also international outpouring of of of, of worry and uh, mobilization against uh, against the Bolsonaro agenda. And then, you know, really the nail in the coffin was he kind of, you know, threatened a self coup in September, uh, which was completely an embarrassment. And after that, his support in the Congress that we were mentioning before, you know, the this they call it the centro, the big center. Um, just people without an ideology that are basically for sale to whoever's in power, um, abandoned him and said, you know, never mind, you're not the horse to bet on here. Uh, we don't really think we're going to be voting for any of your stuff. Um, so this is sort of to set the scene. And now Bolsonaro is whatever, pulling it you know, 20, 30 percent. Uh, Lula is looking like he's going to run away with it. Um, and, you know, Lula, I think, also recognizes, and not just Lula, but also the PT, realizes the importance of, of, Consolidating, you know, regional integration gains. Uh, so, you know, this is this is an old man. I mean, he's I think coming up on eighty, Jesus. and I, I think they know that you know this is probably going to be his his last time. And there's not really a sort of figure in the PT to to take his place 
afterwards. So I think there's a lot riding on this, and that he's he's really got a lot of, got got to get a lot done. The sort of surprise here is that uh, so he's running against Sergio Moro, that's you know fucking judge <laughs> that led Lava Jato and attacked him and put him in prison. Incredible. But the guy that, that really is, yeah. And he's gonna. He's like the least charismatic person of all time. Go watch his videos. It's so hilarious how how bad this guy's about to get beat. Uh, no charisma at all. Um, but the guy that Lula's probably gonna pick is his VP, or this is what the rumor mill is saying. Is Geraldo Altman, who's the former governor of of São Paulo, and also the guy that Lula beat in two thousand six um, for in in his run for presidency. He beat him handily, like sixty forty. Uh, so this is not being received very well by any of the left in Brazil, but you would pick a guy who, if I were going to, you know, try to, you know, describe how he was like in a, in a U.S. political terms, maybe be like picking like George, uh, Jeb Bush or Mitt Romney to be, uh, like a Bernie Sanders vice president. I mean, it would, it would be, it's a severe deviation and 100% uh, every, you know, a lot of the left is not going to be uh, pleased with this, to say the least. But that is looking like what Lula will probably do. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to jump in real quick for two seconds, just going back to the the the, the points on the indigenous um, internationalism. Like it's, it's incredible because when we think of like the indigenous struggle, we think of indigenous struggle within the context of where they are. So, like we think of Native Americans, we think of their struggle within the context of North America, of indigenous Brazil within. Um, Brazil, but indigenous people have the most principled, nuanced internationalism you'll ever see. Like I remember going back to like the Keystone Pipeline, all the way now to like the recent um, protests in, in August. I saw like Aboriginal Australians here, um, Maori in New, in New Zealand, coming out in solidarity with these people. Like you know what I mean? Like it's like they they understand that their struggle for like indigenous sovereignty is an international one. Like and it's like I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. like it's a level of solidarity that's that's incredible that we can all learn from but um austin go ahead uh oh my goodness so definitely critically important point there right we can't be talking about brazil without putting a a, a light on indigenous peoples and obviously the afro-brazilian peoples which also struggle but also shout I as well by the way who what what are we doing we're shouting who out uh, Comrade Fern, the nicest guy on the planet. Okay, I, think, I figured that's what you meant. We love Fern. I love Fern. I'm actually talking to him tomorrow about other things. Anyways, um, so what I was about to say uh, was, Matt, I, I feel compelled. To, you know, you mentioned, oh, the failed self-coup, blah, blah, blah. Well, the work that the Progressive International did in this case was amazing. Right? Yeah. I was extremely blown away by the things that everybody there was able to do, putting together the letter, right? Raising awareness, all this shit. Like I like, and I mean that seriously, right? Like even if I didn't know anybody in the PI or had done any fucking work with them, I would be reporting. We would be talking about this shit and like saying, wow, how good is the PI, right? Like I've been super upfront in the past as far as being, super skeptical of the progressive international when it first founded being like oh okay corbin and verify okay they're going to talk about like staying in eu and how that's blah blah blah. but to see the work the pi has done across the world and particularly in latin america this last year holy shit man fucking incredible well th i mean thanks we, we we're, we're we're small and we try to we try to do what we can especially in like you know moments where we feel like we can have uh enough influence to to try to 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 turn the tide a bit, which you know, I, I think hopefully was 
was achieved there, and there will be plenty more attacks in the future. The death by a thousand cuts never stops. The right wing never fucking sleeps. Uh, and, well, you know, those attacks will keep coming. But, you know, Austin, I also have to say, uh, and to all the listeners of the pod, you know, this, you all are the, you know, the best, uh, the best English, oh, straight-talking yeah. Latin American, you know, oh, podcast out there. That is, that's just the truth. So everybody better fucking support the Patreon because you're the best. <laughs> and that's why you're the white ally. That's why you're the podcast white ally. I mean, I'm serious. I'm being sincere. Let me just jump in here real quick. It's funny because um, this is a bit like off topic, but like obviously for members and all that, we have like the Discord community. For the most part, it's just people talking shit, shooting the shit. The only time Matt ever contributes is like this like eloquent like article yes. or something. Like he's the only serious no. person in yes. the thing. <laughs> no, I'm just this, I'm just the scared one posting. Like I'm really worried about this next thing coming up. Yeah. Otherwise, we talk about like Logan's no. grandma and shit, but. But not, but oh, that's, 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 that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But I think same question as with Colombia. Lula gets elected. What then? Like, what does, what would that look like? Are we, are, will it look like it did the first time around when the PT was in power, where it kind of like massive gains, but then like the global North, like the United States, the Obama neoliberal, like apparatus sort of came down. Like, are we seeing that as well? Or like, what, what, what are we thinking? Matt, what do you reckon, man? I mean, I, I don't, I could get into, you know, my own, you know, opinions about whatever the PT should or shouldn't do. But I will say, just speaking from, I mean, more, in more confidence, I, sort of what I was saying before, that they're, they're serious about regional integration. And they're, they're also pretty serious about, you know, the, the geopolitics of, of the world. I mean, Brazil, it's fucking big. I mean, people yeah. tend to forget this. It's there's more Portuguese speakers in South America than there are Spanish speakers. It's like approaching 200 and you know 30 some million people. It's enormous, and it's a geopolitical actor, and it sees itself that way. And so, you know, when Lula talks now on stage in public, he's talking about Latin America for Latin America. You know, being for itself and not being beholden to the United States, and you know, breaking out of uh, this emerging Cold War between China and and you know, and the U.S. Um, and he's saying this open. So I think what will be key, you know, domestic policy aside, which I honestly I don't feel like I know enough to, to prognosticate on. I would hope that there's more uh, social democratic gains, like the first, like the first, uh, you know, Lula presidencies. But but who knows? I, what I do think will they'll be serious about, especially with Mexico now. Um, for the first time, and Argentina still there, and Chile now there, and Colombia maybe there. Um, talking about you know uh, UNASUR that includes the Caribbean and also you know all the way up to the to, to the Rio Grande, all the way to the U.S. That's border. Select, baby. I mean, we talking about that's select. it. That's the whole ball game for me. I mean, if they can do that, that's historic. That's world historic. So. And that's, you know, that's, it's, you reminded me when you mentioned, Matt, this kind of like trying to transcend a, a, the U.S.-China rivalry. That's kind of been um, the most advanced quality of, of the Brazilian left in power. I, I remember uh, um, when the, you remember the BRICS, right? <laughs> he was Brazil, right? Brazil, right, right? Brazil has always, it, it, at the height of their power, 
uh, or under Lula, I believe it was under Lula, Brazil did try to take that role in certain like international scandals. They would tr- they attempted to be a like a third party uh, uh, arbiter in things. Um, the idea of of Brazil returning to that role, but this time, you know, as the anchor of an entire region That's that you know, yeah. if not left wing, is at least center left, throwing off, uh, you know, basically telling the great powers, American or Chinese, to fuck off, is I think something that it, it's it's it would be one of the most important changes of the geopolitical calculus that, that uh, probably since uh, the U S invasions of the middle East, frankly, like it would be, it would be a tremendous reshuffling. No más pobre en un continente pobre, un continente rico. You know what I mean? Like extending the, the saying improved, no more poor people in a rich country, no more poor people in a rich continent. You know what I mean? Cause if you look at our history, like, right. Latin America funded funded European industrialism essentially, you know, like European industrialization. So to be able to go that and reclaim that, and I think talking about Lula, like understanding the role Brazil can play, I think it goes beyond like this borderline fascist, like creating a, a a myth of like this grand whatever. He's very clear on what Brazil has to offer. The wealth it has to offer, the the role it, it can play, and I think that's really really great great to see as well. Um, and I think going beyond talking about like um, regional integration, all this stuff, talking about like the like demographics, what we need to remember as well, like Brazil especially, like has a massive like Palestinian population as well. So if we have these left leaning, center left, left wing populations in power, the amount of solidarity that can be you know, that can exist, that can grow with, you know, Palestinian liberation struggles would be massive as well for the region. So I think, like, any way you look at this, it's in- incredible. I, I just want to say one last thing. I mean, the one the one other thing about this, uh, and the, the, the deeply tragic thing, is that uh, where's the United States, you know, where are the allies from the United States here? And, and besides the, like, the very few, like, near and dear comrades that uh, I, I, I think have a, have a major role, you know, the U.S. is still, has, still has designs on, on total domination of Latin America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, to build a movement within the United States, or even just, honestly, even just a few reference points uh, of, uh, you know, in support of efforts like these, in support of, of, of the movement and the development and the regional integration in Latin America, it's just not there. It just isn't there, and it's honestly one of the things that, that drives me most insane. I mean, you know, any sort of a like, even in like a single tweet from a, a well-known like politician in the U.S. probably could have tipped the scales in some of these elections. Um, let alone like an actual political concerted effort uh, in Congress, but also in you know political organizations in the United States and unions um, would make a world of difference. And I don't want to, you know, I, there's plenty of agency and power in Latin America to, 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 you know, keep progressing as they already are and to do it themselves. But the United States is just sitting on its hands. And so, you know, it, and I'm talking about people in the U S um, of course the government, uh, we know, we know where they stand, but uh, this is one of the, one of the most tragic things for me. I just like the U S is right there and Latin America, uh, you know, you know, Lula is always talking about Biden about how great he is. Petro's always talking about how great Biden is. You know, the same thing, even in places like Chile, this is happening. There's, 
there's this this one-sided conversation that just honestly no one in in, in the U.S. except for the very few outliers like Austin <laughs> care to <laughs> give a shit about. Dude, fucking exactly. Oh my god, this is my whole. Oh, this is our whole crusade, right? Like, this is what we've always been talking about, right? Like, it's amazing. Like, when we talk about integration and shit like that, oh, my God. The U.S. plays a massive role in literally all of that. Not just in, like, maybe, like, encouraging it, but also just not stopping it, for fuck's sake, right? Holding the beast back, right? And there's a huge role for the U.S. left to play here, right? Which is why I've always pushed and was super happy to see DSA apply to join the Sao Paulo Forum, right? I've had great people in DSA. I've had great conversations with members of the Sao Paulo Forum, right? With people literally like coming from the PT, right? Which, as you mentioned, Matt, it's the PT really pushing this. And there was a really big point you raised earlier, Matt, that I hadn't even thought about myself. We could come to a place where we don't just have Brazil, but we have Brazil at the same time we have Mexico. Has that literally ever happened? Like, damn, think about that for a second. Like, living in a time where we have a Brazil and a Mexico, both with a left-wing tint and both not afraid to flex their muscles. Has that literally ever happened? Like, maybe before, like, the Brazilian coup? Like, in the when that fucking happened? Like, that's earth-shatteringly important when you think about it. And, like... We need organizations like DSA, organizations like the PI, other organizations, right? That should, we should, these should, these, we should look at these groups as like our cousins, right? Like, it's so sad to me, like you said, Matt, that it's just pulling teeth to get any major elected to even consider, like, a tweet for Boric, for fucking Boric. What? Like, that should be a layup, right? It's shocking to me how people look at, like, Lula, like, I, I don't know where Bernie works, but Lula is what? The most popular politician in the hemisphere? People should be tripping over themselves to engage with him, right? People, progressives, democratic socialists in the United States should be tripping over themselves to be seen in a picture with him. Instead, they hide. They hide and they run. Why? Oh my God, right? And this is why, once again, raising awareness, linking our struggles, linking our issues, engaging with the Foros de Sao Paulo, right? Shit like that is so critically important. Just fucking meeting each other. Damn, right? And once again, we're already like over an hour in, right? Like, and this is not the last time we're going to talk about Brazil this year. Hell no. This is not the last time we're going to have you on this pod this year, Matt. In fact, I don't know how or when we're going to link up again sometime this year. We're going to figure that shit out, right? But this is, there's, I'm only scratching the surface on like the theme you just laid there, Matt, because once again, our whole fucking crusade is that like getting people in the United States to look at things within an America's perspective, in America's continuum, the issues we deal with in the United States of organizing a multiracial working class on stolen land is the exact same issues that the left in Latin America deals with. It's the exact same issues that led to the growth of plurinationalism, that led to the yeah. growth of 21st century socialism, that led to the re-embracing of concepts like Ben Vivere, right? Because they're dealing with very similar material conditions. But God damn it, I'll stop there. Go ahead, Leroy. No, just quickly, I think that, that last piece sort of got to what I was saying. Like, we started 2021 because 
he's the quote master. He always has these really good one-liners. Started the year with Welcome to America, America, talking about how America is an American continent. But it's really funny, really interesting. I don't know what the word you want to use, that people in Latin America, South America, the Caribbean, they understand that the United States is part of the hemisphere. It's, it's an American continent. But Americans, and even I live in Australia, and it's the same thing. We see ourselves as an extension of Europe. So we see these people here, but we're an extension of whatever leftist movements. We're, we're, we're inheritors of Europe, a, a European socialism, a European Marxism, whatever you want to say, which is detrimental to the, the very concept of what we purport to be experts on or, or, or hold you know, in our ideology. And until we can organize Americans in the U.S., Canadians in Canada, to understand that, to understand that their struggle for Medicare for all, their their struggle for Green, Green New Deal is an extension of the liberation of all of the Americas. You know what I mean? Because we can fight for a Green New Deal. Where the fuck are we gonna are they gonna get the the renewable energy from? You know what I mean? Like you can't disconnect those things because then you're just creating even more contradiction. Which like, and I know there's a certain cross section of the movement of DSA who are like, oh, blah, whatever the fuck. But like, it's, 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 it's mind boggling to me that we don't see ourselves as an extension of each other, of one big America. You know what I mean? But I, I don't know. It's just me. T. I, you know, I, I, I think it bears repeating, of course, that, you know, for whatever Amlo's virtues on foreign policy are, he definitely balances it out with a rather horrific and horrendous domestic policy. Yeah. yeah. Um, solidarity with the Zapatistas, of course. Um, however, you know, the importance of building up the movement in the United States and how it relates internationally is the fact and, and the importance of spreading awareness. You know, it's very easy to get discouraged here in the states about you know where we're at on this on on the, at this issue i think there were some changes with the bolivian coup um i think the bolivian coup was like kind of shocked a lot of uh u.s-based left-wingers to think like oh you know wow this is literally like a 20th century style like i read about this in social studies or i heard about this in college <laughs> but it's happening before my eyes you know what i mean it became real yeah. for them but the, the reason, and I'll, 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 be, I'll try to be quicker, um, we, we build awareness and we spread the ideas here. And if we do stuff in the states that we're supposed to be doing regardless, so like trying to build up labor unions, trying to build up civil society organizations, trying to put out educational materials related to internationalism, we'll, we would then get to a point where our political activity could have a serious measurable, measurable impact. So like, yeah. for instance, yeah. I, I, my favorite story uh, is, it relates to uh, Italian workers actually in Italy during the first, during the Iraq war, they were Italian labor, longshoremen unions were refusing yeah. to load up armaments and munitions that were going to go to support uh, the U S war effort. If we had a strong labor movement in the United States, if we had, and not just a strong labor movement, but like a, a radical labor movement, if we had strong, um, uh, you know, socialist organizations, and I say plural, organizations plural, um, it's an ecosystem, we could then sort of restrain the beast, like you said, you know, we could have, we could push, you know, and and for our, uh, for comrades who are involved in the electoral struggle, you know, pushing city councils to open up their own kind of like trade missions with countries like Cuba that are isolated. Yeah. That kind of builds the support that, that will then allow, you know, congressional representatives and people in the federal government to, you know, you know, slowly but surely 
at least give Latin America breathing space, at least allow them to chart their own destinies. Okay, now we're officially on a topic that could take enough hours, maybe five days if we went deep. And that's like just scratching the surface. The last thing I will say here, because wow, Matt, you just opened up a massive holistic can of worms when you mentioned like the US left's relation with all this, because it's a big part of it, right? So two things. One, I'm sorry, I have to respond to your response to me, I suppose to you, which is, I think characterizing almost domestic policy as horrendous is simplification right i think it's complicated right i think i sure. think i think when i think of condemning amlo it's catering to trump biden immigration policies and oh yeah we'll let them stay here that's unacceptable right unacceptable and should be criticized once again there's layers here that we need a whole uh, we'll have amlo debate another fucking day but yeah we will here's the thing we've been avoiding it we're gonna have to do it at some point there's the, thing. the last thing i'll say here bro like when i think about this podcast when i think about work with dsa when i think about work with pi when i think about everything like there's nothing i i say all the time right there's nothing i think about more than like trying to create that like that that marrying the legacies of eugene debs and jose carlos mariategui right getting people thinking about these struggles as intertwined as as connected yeah. right i think that shit yeah. is so fucking important right getting people look yeah. analyzing our own material conditions adapting to our own material conditions right that's critically important right i think that's a, a big part what? yeah exactly who the fuck would have thought right we're not just copying <laughs> and pasting whatever the fuck happened in norway here right now there's layers to this right and there's once again a, another big part of this that I, the last thing i will say i think one of the biggest reasons there's issues within the u.s left over this is that there's a lot of there are a lot of people who are delusionally not just in the u.s left in the united states who are delusionally connected to this idea of connecting to the quote white working class within the united states right which is delusional on so many different levels right but what's so important to point out with this conversation is that the working class in the united states is getting browner and browner right and that's not going to stop that's not going to stop right so once again we're just delusional if we don't think that connecting with latin america is not a part of not only emboldening the left in latin america but emboldening the left in the united states it goes two fucking ways anyways i'll shut up there and pass back to you leroy to close us out one thousand percent and like these are conversations that we need to continue man like because this past year has been incredible ups and downs started off kind of rough but again like matt was saying it was just heroic struggle after heroic struggle that saw some very positive gains and hopefully we can carry that into this new year and like what we we're talking about just building a coalition of organizations in the global north you know canada united states to become more integrated with the hemisphere and all that stuff um we didn't even talk about costa rica because apparently they have a, an election coming up I don't know about y'all. I don't know much about Costa Rica, but I'll just say this getting into gardening and farming and land, blah, blah, blah. There's a big sort of gentrifying type of thing going on there. So you get a lot of, you know, these hippie type gringos coming down. Oh man, I bought some land, bought like 30,000 acres in Costa Rica and blah, blah, blah. Thinking they're fixing and doing all these things and improving the land, but they're just displacing the locals. Like it's, it's incredible. I, but I could, again, that's, that's a whole five hour conversation I can have. Um, but Matt, buddy, comrade, official white ally, always a pleasure. Love, love having you. Thanks for coming on. I mean, again, we're just three dickheads talking about Latin America from outside Latin America. You're actually there with your ear, literally fingers. In no, your no, 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 Lira, I won't, I won't let that slide because you all are doing the best. <laughs> no, you all are doing, are literally, I mean, you're doing the, some of the best, not only reporting, but analysis 
from the left in English, speaking to the right audience, the, the audience that needs to hear this. Um, and you know, y'all are just doing the Lord's work, and everyone needs to support you the, the, to, the, to the best of their of their financial abilities because what y'all do is so 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 important. And God. you know, so all solidarity in the struggle because y'all are doing the Lord's work. So. You are far too kind, right? If there's anything, if you are a true Machete Matista, you would know the worst thing you can do is ever embolden my ego. So you've made a cri- <laughs> you've made a critical mistake here, Matt. But thank you, brother. We really appreciate it. For real, man. You're the best. Nah, y'all. Y'all are. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, But yeah, again, if you support what we do and support, you know, the projects that we have, well, at least we want to have lined up to be able to do and be able to dedicate more time to this. Consider showing your solidarity on our Patreon, patreon.com slash machete mate. You heard it here first from Matt that um we're worth the money. I'm just, I'm just joking. Uh, I'm just joking. But no, nah, like, again, at the end of the day, we just appreciate y'all spending some time with us and hearing us ramble about something that really matters a lot to us. Um, and if at the very least, you can add a, a comment or review of wherever you listen to this, help the algorithm, help us get out there a bit more. It'll go a long way. Um, and one thing that we didn't talk about either, like it just occurred to me, what a more left Latin America will look like for a potential socialist in sovereign Puerto Rico. But again, that's a five-year conversation that we can have. That's a whole podcast series. But anyway, one day. But um, in saying that, thanks for tuning in. Um, check out our conversation with Diego Polanco as well, our last one, which was fascinating as well, a bit more specific with Chile. But um, with that said, thanks for tuning in. Matt, thank you again. And hasta la victoria. Peace. Later, y'all. Thank you.